Good evening, ladies and gentlemen. Greetings, fellow Fordians, and welcome to another episode of Investigating the Impossible with Tobias and Emily. I'm Emily. And I'm Tobias. And today we have Nash Hoover of Chasing Legends with us. So welcome to the show, Nash. Thanks for having me, guys. Yeah, thanks uh, Thanks again for being here. I mean, this is pretty exciting for us. I really enjoyed that first season of, of Chasing Legends. Yes. Um, you know, it was interesting to see you guys go out and, uh, and investigate some cryptids that don't necessarily get the attention they probably deserve. Uh, certainly the the investigatory style used, I, I think, is admirable. Um, and so, yeah, that, I mean, that was really interesting for us. Obviously, we had some friends involved with that shoot as well. Um, you know, Alex Petikov and, and Eli Watson are both great guys. Uh, everybody else we saw on the show, of course, um, you know, we, we, we absolutely thought we're, uh, we're pretty great, too. Oh, yeah. But... Um, yeah, what a what a fun project. But before we get into that, why don't we start where we usually like to start, especially with first time guests, uh, mm-hmm. and that is to kind of get into you know why you why why weird stuff, you know why 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 cryptids necessarily. Is there um, was there some inspiration, some event, anything that that got you interested in uh, in cryptids specifically? I wish it could be that easy. Um, <laughs> I don't rem. I I and it, I kind of hate it, but it's like for the life of me, I cannot remember what that like kind of thing was that like triggered the interest. I started back in probably early two thousand, so I was like I was in elementary school, and it started with Bigfoot. Reading about, or I think it was just kind of checking out books that are local at the school library. From there, it kind of got into Loch Ness and UFOs, and I was checking out books so frequently on the subject that the school librarian would special order in books on the subject <laughs> or if other or if books on the subject showed up she would set them aside so that way i was like the first one to kind of get them and it just that's all it was for me it was just kind of an interest it's like okay this you know this there's things that are people are talking about that shouldn't be there yet there's you know video and photo evidence of these things there right and so it, it was just it was just a very, you know, it was just kind of like, uh, you know, a mixture of like kind of like that childhood wonder and kind of like, you know, you know, what if, you know, what if this stuff, you know, was legit, whatever. Um, sure. No, I, I, that, that makes sense. So you, from a, in, in early age, it sounds like you've really just been fascinated by monsters, you know I mean? And, yeah. And who isn't? Um, now, were you, were you into like science fiction, fantasy or anything like that? Or, you know, was, was your interest in uh, cryptids, even from that age, was it more of a, uh, like a hard, like natural science sort of perspective? I think for me, it was probably more of like a, a natural science thing. Like I, I grew up watching Steve Irwin and Jeff Corwin and, you know, all those guys. And so, it's, you know, you kind of, you know, you're, you know, learning more about like the, the, you know, the known animals of the world. And then all of a sudden these unknown animals start coming across and it's like, okay, they exhibit similar behaviors and they you know are seen in similar areas and then it just it's i think that's kind of where you know i you know i'll i'll listen to kind of anybody's uh listen to anybody's theories on Mm -hmm. what they think some of this stuff is for me it's i feel like they're it's depending on obviously depending on the cryptid i think it's a lot of it's uh you know more flesh and blood stuff uh 
unknown species, uh, missing link, whatever you want to call it. But yeah, I think it was just, for me, it was, they'd always just been animals. Gotcha. Just undiscovered animals. Interesting. So who are some of your, uh, like, earliest authors that, 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 that you had read? Like, especially during that formative period, you mm-hmm. know, like, who were some of the, the earliest uh, uh, people that, that, that you got into in, in cryptozoology? I don't even remember. <laughs> That's okay. I mean, for me, it was like you know, it was just the subject at hand. Like I don't, gotcha. I don't, I, I read so many different books. I don't think I, I could even remember. I mean, now obviously I have a lot of you know, a lot of Chad Lewis and. Well, I was gonna say Glenn let's let's, let's go to now then. Who like who, like who? I guess if if you had to pick some some authors that that really influenced you. Uh, Chad Lewis would definitely be a big one. He's good you know, one. he's a, a good personal friend of mine. He kind of mentored me into the field um, and really kind of took me under his wing and kind of helped me kind of navigate the the waters of, of cryptozoological research and whatnot. Yeah, I think he would be... I mean, he's, he's the only one I can really think about off the top of my head that's like personal. Sure. I mean, there's tons of people. Like, I'm always learning. Like, I, like right. I, you know, I always love talking with people, but him, him for sure... Um, his books and just him have really helped. Sure. Yeah, no, I, I, I get that. I mean, Chad, Chad's a good guy. I mean, he's mm-hmm. a, a local guy too. So we've, we've definitely seen him uh, uh, around its stuff. And um, yeah, he's always been, he's always been a solid dude. So um, now, you know, I, we don't have to limit it necessarily to, uh, you know, people that, that, you know, personally, although again, like Chad Lewis, for anybody listening, uh, he's an, an excellent author. He writes pro, uh, prolifically on uh, everything from you know monsters to, to different aspects of folklore. He just had a book on um, like these dares at like you know supposedly cursed sites come out. It's really interesting stuff. So definitely check him out. But you know, um, I, I guess what I was getting at is I'm just interested, sort of. Uh, who your influences were like we all have them you know uh, like for me I grew up reading uh, like John Keel and, and Whitley Strieber and Brad Steiger and you know I, I don't consider myself a like uh, a devotee of anybody or anything but you know I, I'd be lying if I said uh, from a, a very early age that they, they didn't influence me like of, of course they did so um, I mean is 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 there anybody I guess that that you could point to uh, that um, that that sort of had that kind of effect on your work or or on your your outlook, even if it is uh, just no natural scientist, even if it's Steve Irwin, you know, Josh Gates. Josh Gates, mm, that's a good one. That one makes a lot of sense. Sure, no, I could see that. Um, I mean, yeah. I obviously, you know, when you know, it started kind of as the you know the interest in in, in elementary school with you know reading about it and stuff like that i obviously grew up in like the when kind of paranormal tv started becoming a thing mm-hmm. um so i remember when i first kind of came across destination truth that even like monster quest and that that those two shows really kind of like helped to broaden you know what else was out there um you know suddenly it wasn't just bigfoot and essie it was you know all these different cultural variants of of sasquatch and uh different lake monsters around the world and just all these other weird, just weird cultural cryptids and destination truth was the big one for me. That was kind of like the turning point for me. That was like, okay, you can, you know, you can go out and look for this stuff, you know, globally and have fun with it. And it's not, 
all pretty and glamorous and it's it's you know you're gonna end up in really crappy situations and it's gonna suck and it's gonna rain and you know but you can have fun with it because as long as you know you're you're dedicated to finding the truth and that you know watching that show i mean i've seen destination i've seen every episode of destination truth tons of times um i've read his uh, i've read his book several times and i've met the man um uh he's super great down-to-earth guy i have a signed photo of him hanging in front of my face <laughs> and yeah i think i mean a lot of people you know he obviously isn't a cryptozoologist and I, you know i think a lot of people you know are pretty quick to uh to, to make that point but he still hosted and went out and looked for these creatures on you know on you know yes it was a, you know it was a television series but he found incredible evidence in some of this stuff i mean his yeti footprints are still like you know it's he yeah he just inspired it and that's kind of what you know when i created chasing legends that's kind of what i wanted that style i wanted it to be super raw and really show the entire process and just you know not leave anything out you know mm-hmm. i didn't want to make it seem like it was oh no okay you know we landed now we're here and we're interviewing these people i wanted to show the whole process mm-hmm. like you right you know you can't you know, you can't just jump from a to b and and not show people how you got there because you might you're gonna have people like me watching the show that want to do it but don't know where to start and they're mm-hmm. going to think it's this easy process and then they go out and it's not and they're finding out incredibly hard <laughs> so yeah fair enough um yeah DT I, for me was is kind of like that and i've had a lot of people like with the first season like talk mm-hmm. about you know like you know the the parallels that they've noticed you know obviously my whole crew is involved and you know it's not just me on camera talking it's everyone everyone behind and in front everyone that's behind the camera is also in front of the camera and um, for me, that just it helps makes it fun, but at the same time, it's like, like you when you when you're out doing these investigations. I mean, you guys know, like you when something's happening, you want to have somebody there that you can be like, okay, are you also hearing this? Are you right. also mm-hmm. seeing this? Yeah. You don't want it to just be some you know nameless camera guy that's responding. You right. want some. You want the people. You want the people watching to know who you're talking to, and. And it's that that aspect for me too. Also, it's like when we're going to these, you know, very dangerous environments. Sometimes I want to be able to trust the guy next to me. I want to be able to trust that he's going to be okay. Watch out for that snake. You're about to, you know, you're about to step on a snake, or you know, you're watch out for this, or something comes barreling through the trees at me. I know we're all going to take off together. Like it's you. You got to be able to trust the guy next to you, and that's kind of where that. I guess the copy i guess kind of came from of destination truth was where i wanted the crew to be involved and it just it it makes it fun like i said mm-hmm. it just you you're allowed to joke around you're allowed to essentially analyze everything with somebody else on camera and you're able you know because different people are going to have different experiences you know especially I- with what you're whatever you're going into and Sorry, I'm getting way off topic here. <laughs> no, I, no, I mean, I, it's it, it's all on topic. Whatever you're saying is the topic, so. I think it's also great that, like, you know, because I think it it adds a certain, like, human element to the production. Like, obviously, for you, it's about, you know, the people who are with you and you want to share that. But I think for us, it's better to have something a little bit more relatable than, like, I think a lot of us can get too worried about, like, 
how it's being presented a certain way and like how it's supposed to be. But um, I think I, I, I'm not necessarily saying that you broke the rules by doing this the way you did, but it definitely, I think, helps us, on you know, like you said, see the big picture. It definitely broke the the sort of standard formula you see in a lot of shows. I mean, one host, even well, crew. Beyond that, like even just in in my experience, you know, as limited as it is doing television, um, you are no, even on you know so called reality shows or investigation shows, whatever. You are often expected to do multiple takes, mm-hmm. and it's really difficult to make it seem like the second or third time you're saying something is still you know spontaneous. Um, when uh, it, you know if there's some director going like, okay, that that was great, but could you say it a little bit more like this? And it's like, well, I mean, is there a script? Because uh, right, you know yeah. this is supposed to be. I think that's what I was trying to get at. Right. Well, that's know. something, and I mentioned this in the the uh, review that we published for Chasing Legends is how that was missing because everything was so authentic because it really mm-hmm. seemed like. Uh, it was just a, a, a group of friends, you know, out in investigating this stuff. And, um, yeah, I mean, I, I'm, I'm looking at my notes right now. And absolutely, you know, I, I had written down things like, um, you know, has humor and heart, you know, stuff, mm-hmm. stuff like that. Where, I mean, you can't, you can't fake that stuff. Mm-hmm. You can't. It's, it's either there or it's not. And so, you know, when it comes to that influence from, uh, from Destination Truth, I, yeah, I think that's very... Um, apparent in 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 watching the the show i mean absolutely uh so yeah interesting like there's really no no surprise there um you know speaking of the uh the show too i think maybe we should we should get into that a little bit here um now i'm gonna probably butcher this is it is it mogion is that right mogion all right. I think, well, I think it, it's it, you can pronounce it either way. It's, it, you just don't pronounce the L's as L's, so it's Mogion right. or Mogion. We we were told both. It's not Mogollon. It's, right. It's Mogion or Mogion. I figured with with two L's, it was gonna make a a Y sound. So I I got that part right. And I was trying to think back to the show, and I'm like, I'm pretty sure people were saying Mogion, but okay. Anyway, so uh, Mogion Monster. You know, like this is interesting to me because anytime. You get what sounds like a Bigfoot, but somebody gives it its own like its own name. Like that's always fun, just right off the bat. But um, there were a couple other things in that episode too that uh, that really stuck out. You know, first and foremost, of course, uh, you know, you guys are really out there, mm-hmm. and uh, and and that I think the moment for me watching it where that uh, that that really was driven home was you, you literally got stuck in the mud. <laughs> yeah. You know, like what, 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 how did you manage to do that out of, out of curiosity? Well, okay. So we, we went to Arizona expecting, okay, it's going to be hot. It's going to be, you know, it's middle, it's the end of July. It's going to be hot. You know, I'm like everyone dress, dress prepared for heat, you know? And then as I kind of was like looking into the area we were going, you know, I was like, okay, this is, you know, pretty, you know, this is not the desert. Like this is the top of a mountain northern arizona right so i'm like you know i'm like i'm seeing some rain in the forecast I'm like everyone just bring your rain jacket just in case so you know so we had it so we flew to phoenix we drove two hours north to the town of payson which is where we stayed and in that two hours the temperature dropped 20 degrees hmm. oh wow so it was 90 in phoenix it was 70 when we got into payson and the next day we drove up to the top of the mogollon rim dropped another 20 degrees 
So it was in the 50s on the top of this mountain in Arizona in July, and all of us are dressed for super warm weather. Mm. So we ended up having to make a, a Walmart stop so everyone could get more layers, but it rained the whole time. Like there was there was brief moments where there was no rain. I mean, there was no rain during our night investigation. We we really lucked out. Like the clouds parted as we were like hiking in to uh, set up our ba- our little base camp. So we lucked out there. But both uh, all three days that we were there, it rained. Wow. So we you know we had a, a Chevy Tahoe that was our rental, and I think we kind of pulled over to this little spot um, that we were just like, okay, there's nobody around. I see a lot of trees and you know i don't see any campsites i don't see anything like says let's let's check this let's check this area out so we just kind of pulled off got out and left it well it continued to rain so we were parked on soft mud that was already wet so it just got more and more wet and then the weight of the vehicle just kind of weighed it weighed it down so we and then once you throw in seven people and all of our camera equipment and try to get out of there yeah it was that was our little bit of a misadventure, but uh, yeah, we got out and uh, everyone got to document. I was, I'm like, okay, guys, let's all let's all push. And of course, my uh, my director of photography, Sammy, just like I just see him in the rearview mirror, just like standing off while everyone's trying to push and he's filming. I'm like, of course, I'm like, <laughs> like I'm I'm glad you're filming, but like right. we're stuck. <laughs> well, I'm glad somebody was was filming, filming because that that, yeah. that was one of my favorite moments. I think. Um, because like, like like I said, you can't uh, you can't fake that stuff. You can't make it up. That's the that's the kind of stuff that only happens when you're really out there doing like the the real work, which is what this series mm-hmm. is, and it, it's sort of what what makes it so special compared it's on to the ground. yeah, compared to like that was a, a, that, a, was a uh, that was a ten minute ordeal. <laughs> <laughs> so, and I guess for for people who aren't familiar with the. Uh, Mogollon Rim or the, the the monster associated with it. Uh, why don't you give us a, a little bit of background on that? What are what are people saying that they're seeing out there? Yeah, so it's it goes back to like the forties and fifties, kind of like before like the term Sasquatch was even like really came up with. I mean, because you know the Passion Gimlin stuff didn't happen until the sixties, hmm. so they didn't know what to call it so you know it was on the mogollon rim and so they just called the mogollon monster and the the kind of the initial uh kind of experience that everyone kind of talks about it was a uh, boy scout troop camping on the rim and something came into their camp and ate all their food and trashed their camp and was this you know loud terrifying uh creature and it left and um, that's kind of where that's kind of like the initial story. There are Native American accountants that we came across that talk about something similar in the area. Um, so obviously, people have been seeing something unexplained for a long time. But yeah, the the sightings kind of you know happen below the rim, on top of the rim, and you know we kind of we try to showcase it as much as we could in the episode. But that area is just, is just so dense, mm-hmm. like. The, the clip in the episode where Alex and I are talking about our initial reaction, that wasn't supposed to happen. We drove, we basically were driving up and we came over this hill and saw it for the first time. And I'm like, guys, start rolling. And that was literally Alex and I's like genuine re- reactions to what we were seeing for the first time because we drove into Payson at night. So we, hadn't, we didn't get to see it until that very moment. And 
so like when I said like in that bit like something could very easily live here undetected because it, it had everything you needed it wasn't too hot it wasn't too cold there was you know plenty of water sources plenty of known animals that we were told live up there that could be you know food source something easily could be living there and you know the it it it's your classic bigfoot that's what everyone kind of you know reports it as um we obviously kind of wouldn't do it with the idea of you know could people just be mistaking it as bear and just kind of associating a bear sighting with the stories the mogion monster sure um that's kind of how we that's kind of our approach to all these things as we kind of look we try to try to find a logical response before we kind of uh say definitively if it you know could possibly be you know we try to look for i hate the term debunking but (laughs) it's kind of what we do but it's more of just kind of putting ourselves in the shoes of the people that saw it and then if we have something that you know if we come across a known animal that matches you know to the t all the descriptions we might say okay that some of these description you know some of these sightings could be uh whatever or you know could be bear could be whatever yeah well, i think so, that's the only i mean that really that's the only honest way to to go about this you know i don't i don't even think that qualifies as as debunking really that's just being an investigator mm-hmm. um you know like uh, being sort of skeptically open-minded as as you seem to be um, you know that should. I wish it was the 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 default because it really should be. That should be where everybody starts. You know, so I, I I think that's great personally. I think that's exactly what you should be doing. Well, that's what I always tell people too. It says you know, it, no matter what our what my myself or my crew's personal uh, beliefs are on whatever we're going to look for, we go into everything with open-minded skepticism mm. because. You know, a lot of this stuff, we don't, there is no definitive yes or no. So mm-hmm. it's like, even if we genuinely do believe that this is out there, we can't go into it. One, because you just get let down at the end when you don't come across anything. That's, you know, kind of what, that's kind of the, when I used to ghost hunt, that was always my approach too, is because mm-hmm. you can't go into these places that are supposed to be hella active and then they, nothing happens and you're like, oh, okay, well, that was boring. Mm-hmm. You know, you just kind of have to, you know, you have to go into it expecting nothing to happen. And then when stuff happens, you're like, sweet. Um, so, yeah, I mean, that's kind of always our, always been our approach. That's just always the been, that's just always been the way I've always done it. Like, just without even trying, really, that's just always been our, uh, just the way we've done things. And, you know, it's kind of one of those, if it ain't broke, don't fix it kind of things where, you know, now that, you know, the production value is getting better and there's more people watching it and there's, you know, more attention to it. You know, we don't want to try and like Hollywood anything to bring people in. Right. I mean, you guys saw with the Pukwudgie episode, you know, we're not afraid to say, oh, nothing happened, mm-hmm. you know, and then mm-hmm. have a whole like thing about it. Right. You know, we're more than happy to, you know, to talk about, you know, we're not going to, we're not going to not release an episode because nothing happened. You know, right. if we hit every check mark on our production list then sweet you know nothing happens that doesn't you know that doesn't close the book on anything it just means we didn't have an encounter sure well i think part of it you know is just going out to these places because none of this stuff performs on demand so a lot of it is is going out to these places um and you know doing a lot of of what you did of course where you're talking to uh, witnesses, uh, interviewing in, uh, investigators in that area, and sort of finding the 
the background of, uh, of of what people have reported. But you know, also I think part of what what you're doing and, and what's important is going out there and showing people. Okay, so you know maybe we didn't find Bigfoot, um, but like you said, just because you don't find Bigfoot every time doesn't mean that it's not worth doing. There wouldn't be cryptid television if the if the requirement was that you had to find Bigfoot because nobody has. So, I mean, I I, I think what's uh, what's important is that you're getting out there and you're going to these locations and you're showing people exactly what these locations are and you said it yourself when it comes to that mogollon rim um like that area it is and a lot of people i guess don't picture this when they 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 think of uh arizona but you get into like northern arizona and you know there's like big logging industry there there are these dense forests and and uh and in these these areas of, of relatively high elevation and you know, you going out there and filming this show, I think, shows people like, hey, we now maybe there is, maybe there isn't. But once you look at this place, I think it's pretty easy to imagine that there could be. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And so, I, yeah, I, I, I think that's yeah. absolutely great. Um, you mentioned the Pukwudgie. That was I enjoyed that episode. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, we can get into that some because there was a lot going on there, and it really got into. Some other stuff that, to me, kind of sounded a little, I mean, could have been in, you know, in urban legend, maybe. Like, for for instance, so, let me see here if I got it here. Um, so, you know, you're sort of talking about at, well, actually, you know, I don't want to put the cart before the horse. Why don't we okay. start at, at the very beginning? <laughs> so, the, 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 the Pukwudgie, uh, why don't we start with, um, if you don't mind, uh, what is a Pukwudgie? Or, or what do people say that, that, that they are? So a Pukwudgie is a uh, it's a Wampanoag uh, legend, which is the Indian uh, one of the native Indian tribes of uh, New England, Massachusetts, um, and they're basically a little person. It's you know you're, it's kind of your classic kind of little person cryptid, little short hairy. They're often described looking kind of porcupine like, um, and they're said to wield spears and fire and are just supposed to be very a very nasty creature. A lot of strange deaths that have been reported in uh, the Freetown Fall River State Forest, which is kind of where a lot of the sightings happen, which just so happens to also be like in the middle of the Bridgewater Triangle. And, and yeah, there's been a lot of strange deaths associated with Pukwudgies. Um, a lot of people that have, you know, kind of gone for walks in this area said that they've seen one and almost kind of had like that, almost like a telekinetic uh, or telepathic kind of like, it was like talking to them and trying to like lure them into the woods. And, you know, they were able to just kind of like shake it off and, you know, and, and walk away. So they're, you know, they're, they can be a very nasty creature. And one of the, uh, you know, one of the guys we talked about has, you know, talked about, you know, he's has some photos that he, you know, maybe, uh, Paul, you know, he may be captured of some little creatures kind of in this area where we interviewed him, where also, you know, some of these uh, people have reported kind of, you know, coming in contact with these small beings. We really didn't have anything. I mean, the the Pukwudgie, it's been something I've uh, been wanting to look into for a long time because mm-hmm. the, the girl, Caitlin Keeley, that actually co-created this uh, series with me used to live in Massachusetts, and she was the one that kind of brought it up. You know, she was like, oh, you guys got to come out here and we can, you know, do something on this. So that was kind of, it was kind of a long time coming for us to do that episode. And, you know, that was the very first one that we shot of the four. So that's kind of why that one's a little less... Uh, 
I guess, glamorous than the other ones because it was, you know, we were coming off of a few years of not, or a couple years of not uh, shooting anything. Mm-hmm. And, you know, we were kind of working out the kinks still of, uh, and we didn't have all the equipment that we had going into the other the episodes. But we made it, you know, we made it work with the best of our abilities and the time that we had. I think we shot that in a day and a half. Hmm. Yeah, I, I didn't even notice, honestly. Like, I... Yep. That's that's very interesting. Um, I you know I don't have I don't have a lot of technical expertise or anything when it comes to like noticing things like that. But yeah, I I, I thought it turned out just great. Um, what was really interesting to me though is uh, you know you were you were out there and at one point I think uh, you're sort of speculating on you know why I guess why people talk about the the, the Pukwudgie or why this sort of legend persists. And somebody mentioned like the Pukwudgie as a cult, as a cover for for cult murders. That's interesting. And I was like, well, hold on a sec, everybody. Like cult cult murders. <laughs> okay, can we talk a little bit more about that now? Because that seems to me, I think everybody who's grown up, like especially in the the, the Midwest, we have a lot of these, but um, you know, uh, almost everywhere has these rumors of like satanic cults or or cult activity or something and so immediately like my mind goes right to urban legend i'm like mm-hmm. well i mean explaining or you know it, it's sort of like explaining one mystery with another at, at that point so i was really interesting because i really wanted to talk to you and find out is there something to these cult murders mm-hmm. or is this area just sort of rife with with urban legends because that's that's what it seems like so it's a mixture of both i mean there's a lot of uh you know Pukwudgie aside there's a ton of uh other you know cryptids uh strange lights ghosts whatever in, in just in this area but yeah i mean we a lot of the the cult stuff kind of came to us right at the end because we were kind of driving around and talking with people that you know and this was all on camera this was more of just uh you know we're stopping for gas we're we're grabbing a drink at a gas station whatever and we would just kind of stir up a conversation with whoever was working you know hey have you heard of this you know we're looking into this stuff and nine times out of ten the people would be like i have not heard of the puck but i know that there's a lot of cult stuff that happens in this area um, one gentleman we spoke to said that he used to walk his dog in the Freetown uh, Fall River State Forest, but stopped when he saw three, uh, three people in dark cloaks walking through the forest. Um, so he stopped going out there. The area we were in uh, used to be a dumping ground for uh, mob murderers. And there have been, and like I said, there have been cult confirmed cult things happening. I mean, the Asana ledge that we kind of ended the episode on, that you know, that, that cliff face that we sat on, there were pentagrams painted all over the place. You know, there was tons of graffiti on this rock, but there was, like, noticeable pentagrams and stuff. Um, so that's kind of, that was the kind of the conclusion that we kind of reached was, you know, the Pukwudji was kind of just a, a fun, uh, you know, almost happy face to kind of throw on an area that is already just burdened with darkness and to kind of like distract from the stuff that is happening and you know like i said at the end you know i i don't want to be quoted on that i i I hope i'm proven wrong but from what we gathered being there it was 
that's kind of where it was going. And, you know, like, uh, Michaela, my cousin who, you know, the, the female on the show, she was very nervous the whole time we were out there because of all the people that we talked to that said, you know, watch out for people, you know, there's going to be, you know, so it, to us, it seemed like the, it wasn't the Pukwudgies that we needed to be weary of. It was other people mm-hmm. possibly being out mm-hmm. there. And so that just kind of like added more fuel to that fire of, you know, a lot of this could be, I mean, there's, there's, there's definitely sightings that are very directly, Hey, I saw a little person, you know, that shouldn't have been there. There's tons of those, but I think there's a lot of it that just kind of goes in hand with the other kind of dark stuff that um, is happening there. Sure. No, I, I think that makes uh, a certain amount of sense. Yeah. I mean, these uh, areas that uh, that tend to uh, accumulate these reports, you know, I, I think that part of it is that people are experiencing something. But the other part of it is that, um, you know, the, the just the way that uh, folklore forms, you know, mm-hmm. this this word of mouth stuff kind of builds on itself and then. Next thing you know, everybody knows that this forest is full of little people and murderous cultists, um, you know, and yet uh, how many of those people have, have seen it them, themselves? Um, so, yeah, no, that's really interesting. And, and you know, I, I like how you guys do your due diligence um, so far as, you know, obviously you're, you're out there, but, um, you know, you're, you're talking to people. You know, and that's one of the most important things because you can't be afraid to talk to people. Mm-hmm. You just you just can't. You know, it's it's one of the most important tools we have. So, yeah, all in all, it was it was interesting. Um, now you mentioned too, uh, Paul Eno had some uh, photographs that that he showed you. Like, what did you what did you make of those photos? They're definitely strange. I mean, you, you always you know being being a paranormal researcher, you always get like the you know the pareidolia. Uh, stuff where you know you get the people that have to zoom in an already blurry photo and then they you know have to draw arrows and, and circles and this and that to point out something that's not there you know you get the matrixing when you have great images that can appear to be faces and that, i think i see that I see it time and time again in the ghost field and and it is happening in the cryptid field but these photos that paul showed i don't think that's what it is there's definitely something there that you can see without having to zoom in on the images and what it is, I don't know. Is it a Pukwudgie? I can't say for sure. But it's definitely something that doesn't match the rest of, you know, the background. Right. And, and you know, like someone like Paul, who, you know, said he was a, you know, he worked for, you know, he worked for the government and was a photo analyst for, you know, for the government. So it's like this, this is a guy that knows what he's looking at when it comes to this stuff. And if he took a picture and is like, okay, that shouldn't be there, then, you know, there's some credence to that, you know? Mm-hmm. It's it's just like when you get like law enforcement or military guys that are seeing things, it's like you have to kind of take that with a little bit more credibility because mm-hmm. these are guys that don't need to make this stuff up for any reason, mm-hmm. you know? So, I, and so it, it, I don't know. It's, they're, de- they're weird. Um, yeah. Fair it's, enough. Uh, <laughs> no, I, I I totally get it. Uh, I mean, that's just another reason everybody has to go to uh, YouTube and check out Chasing Legends and mm-hmm. watch that episode because uh, it's it's a good one. I think you kind of like downsell it some, 
but it was a good episode. I, you know, it's definitely mm-hmm. worth people checking out. Um, let's see here now. What, sorry. Um, so yeah, I mean, the puck wedgie though, that wasn't the only sort of um, you know potentially supernatural creature that that you guys dealt with, which is which was another thing that I thought was pretty interesting. You know, because. You're, you're definitely sort of approaching this from this natural science perspective, but you're not afraid to get in mm-hmm. um, with, uh, with some of the really weird subjects, too. So, obviously, you did the Puck Wudgie, which are basically just North American fairies. And then you've got uh, the Rougarou in Louisiana. And this yeah. one, this might have been my, my favorite one. I, I although I, I love Champ, too, I, you know, and, and Champ's great. But the, the Rougarou, um, that, was, that was an interesting one. And a lot of it was, for me, um, just how much fun it was to watch you all once you're actually out in the swamp. Because mm-hmm. it seemed like there was about a million alligators there. So, yeah. <laughs> so what, what, so what, like, what, what, what was your experience? Like, once you guys are, are, are out there, you know, like, it's dark, there's alligators everywhere. Like, what, what's going through your mind at, at, yeah. at that point? Yeah, um, the Ruger episode is probably my favorite of the four. Um, as for one, Eli did an exceptional job with the edit. Like that, that the whole edit definitely has his humor to it, um, just with how he kind of cut you know things together. And um, but for me, I think that that episode, from a production standpoint, that was our longest shoot. And that one we had, we did so many different things, and we shot so much stuff. And that's why I feel like that episode is so good to me is because there is just so much, you know, there's so much there. There's so much variety of different things. And it, it really, you know, that, like I said, so much happened on that. But, yeah, I mean, Louisiana was, was a completely different, uh, different monster for me. You know, obviously two of the four are you know, in forests and one of them's on the lake. So it's like, okay, that's familiar for me in the Midwest. Now we're in the swamps where you have the forest in the lake and it was hot and it rained. And I don't think there was a shoot on this season where we didn't have a horrible weather. And yeah, it was, it was just so crazy. I mean, you know, especially doing this during the pandemic, which was just like, that was, there was so many hurdles Mm-hmm. with that oh, I bet. um but yeah like when we got out there yeah you know we went out on the boat with billy gaston and like he would like call the alligators like he would he had them named and he would call <laughs> them and they would come out and then he would put a piece of chicken on a stick and you know put it out the boat and they would leap out of the water and grab it it was the craziest thing ever like cajuns and nuts and it just it brought a lot of these ruger stories into perspective when we got out there because it's like okay, this is not, there's not a lot of land here, but what land there is, it's hard to get to, you know, and yet there's things living out here. And it just, it really, it it made it very difficult to investigate, but at the same time, it really kind of helped bring some credence to a lot of the stories because you just have so much space in between where people can be, Mm -hmm. you know, like, safely and you know it was kind of like the mogion rim kind of in a different in a different sense where you know it could be possible something could could hide out here and it would have to be 
very adapted and kind of know how to get around it and not be afraid to get wet, but something could happen, you know, something could live out there. Sure. Um, yeah, I mean, well, it's, it's definitely uh, very inaccessible. Uh, you know, certainly to anybody who doesn't have like a large fan boat or something. So, and, well, and I suppose the other the other part of this that I, I thought was very interesting too, of course, is the the monster itself. So you've got this Rougarou, which um, you know, according to folklore, is this sort of, of werewolf, this cursed person who has to turn into this this man wolf. But um, but you know, it, it, if such a thing exists, I guess it doesn't necessarily have to be that that could be a sort of like folkloric explanation that that there may or may not be true so i guess what sort of what what was your impression as far as the the possibility of uh an actual creature existing out there in the swamp and then once you know once once you get there once that assumption is made how do you separate uh fact from fiction as far as the um you know, sort of uh, uh, mythological or, or folkloric elements. It's tough because you you can go into these things with a preconceived notion. You can do your research and you can think think you know what you're going to expect. I've gotten to the point where I just don't even do that anymore mm-hmm. because I know that once I get there, I'm not going to be ready for it. Because you can you know look on Google Maps and you can you know, look at these areas and you can see pictures and you can do all your research, but then once you're actually physically there. And you're just surrounded by trees or swamp or whatever, and you're you just become a speck in a massive ocean of of wildlife and forest. It, it does it just it, it just it, it rocks you. It's it's a very kind of a shocking experience. Um, Louisiana, we we try our best to be prepared for the swamp. Just be just more from a safety standpoint. Mm. Like we wanted to make sure that we kind of knew what we were going into. Um, luckily for us, Alex had been to some of the areas that we'd went, so he kind of knew what was up. But yeah, I mean, the we actually learned a lot about the Ruguru that we didn't come across in our initial research from the guy Glenn that we interviewed, and we learned a lot about uh, Cajun folklore from him that we had no idea about. For me, though, I'd, I don't know. It, it's, the Ruger seems more on the folkloric side. Like it kind of is kind of, it kind of sits with the Pukawichis where it could be, but I feel like it's more of just that story that's just been handed down and then is kind of used as almost a boogeyman story because the guy, Billy Gaston, that took us out on the, on the boat, he kind of grew up with these stories of the Ruger, like, oh, don't go on the swamp, you know, the Ruger will get you, kind of type of thing. And, I think for me, that's just kind of where it, it goes. I mean, not to say that they're not fascinating stories and there couldn't be something out there, but I feel like a majority of what people talk about when it comes to the Rugu or any Cajun folklore, it's, I, I feel like it is folklore. Mm. Because like I said, it's just, it's, it would be so hard for something, you know, like a large wolf to live in that environment when there isn't much, you know, like Eli made the comment in, in the episode where there's already so many things in the swamp that want to kill you. So why make up another thing that wants to kill you? And so to me, it just, you know, that's a good point because it's like, but this, I, so I, I, I feel like it's just, it's folklore. I mean, I hate, mm. I hate being that guy 
but for me personally, from what we gathered being there, it, it fits more on the folkloric side and the stories are fantastic. Like some of these people's stories are fantastic. The story of the river is just, is, is an amazing, amazing story. You can really dig deep into it, hmm. but I don't think there's anything physically there. Okay. No, I mean, and fair enough. Although uh, we, we, we should uh, point out uh, now folklore, just because something is folklore doesn't necessarily mean that it's, it's not true. I mean, just for, right. any, just for anybody listening who isn't really familiar because people use the word a lot. Um, and sometimes you'll find it misused, especially online to mean um, a fabrication. Mm-hmm. And that's literally not what folklore is. Folklore is the uh, uh, passage of knowledge through traditional means. So often that's through storytelling, for instance. And so, I mean, really, if we're being fair, a huge percentage of what we deal with falls into that category. Um, every report we receive, is if, if there's no corroborating physical evidence, um, is essentially folklore because you have somebody relating this experience, you know, by by word of mouth to you, um, and then of course it gets more complicated with that uh, generationally as as stories are are passed on and uh, evolve and are no longer, um, you know, being told by the, the the people who first experienced them. But I just want to make sure everybody listening knows that, like, just because. Uh, we're talking about something as folklore doesn't mean that uh, it, it can't be true mm-hmm. or there's no aspect of it that, that is true. Right. Um, and that's really kind of what I was getting at with the, the, the Rougarou as well because, you know, on the one hand, you have this creature that seems similar to reports of, you know, uh, upright canids, uh, you know, call it dog man, whatever you want, that people have been reporting. But then on, on the other hand, uh, you have this um, sort of supernatural explanation that's that's provided for it, um, and who's to say you know which which part of it is true and and, and which part of it isn't? But um, you know certainly some, all, or or none could could potentially be so. Um, although um, yeah, I mean I guess we don't we don't know at at this point, but. Um, yeah, that was a that was a really interesting episode, and I I, I personally enjoyed it. I, just a quick aside on that one too. The uh, the New Orleans, and I know this is gonna sound like cheesy or, or, or nerdy or something, but the New Orleans B roll was really good. Like yeah. I I don't I yeah. enjoyed it. I mentioned it to to Emily at 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 the time too. Honestly, yeah, I agree. Oh, no, yeah, absolutely. We we had shot our interview before that, and then we were just like, okay, we're gonna go walk around New Orleans now, you know, we have nothing to do the rest of the evening. Let's just go explore the city while we're here. And uh, my DP Sammy always has his uh, his Sony a7 III with him, you know, to kind of get stills, but it also does really good video. Mm-hmm. So he just always had a camera with him as we were walking around. So any anytime something kind of like caught his eye, he would just kind of document it. So that's all that B-roll is, is just him wandering around and just filming randomly. Um, and it just yeah, it looks it looks so good. It, it worked uh, great. It, it really it yeah. really added a nice uh, nice element to everything. Oh, definitely. I mean, it really just goes to show um, you know how immersive like these uh, experiences are for you and your team when you're out there. You're actually really there, and you're you know you're going to these spots, and and you're really 
sort of digging in when, when you do these investigations. So um, I guess the last thing maybe we want to talk about uh, is just is Champ uh, a little bit. Now, Champ certainly is something we've covered on here yeah. uh, before. You know, I think that was that had to be the majority of our conversation with, with Alex. Alex. Yeah, yeah. Was, was I think was um, about Champ. Um, and certainly we talked uh, with uh, with Andy McGrath. Mm-hmm. Pretty, pretty extensively uh, about Lake Monsters, uh, which is kind of why I was saving Champ for last. But it, it's still a really, really interesting, um, you know, monster, honestly. And, and, and it does have some very credible sightings and stuff attached. So um, we should talk about it some because the, the episode that you shot isn't necessarily uh, similar to, to anything else out there. And, uh, and we do kind of want to get your, your perspective on it. So, so far, you know, we've got the... Uh, Mogion monster that uh, that could potentially represent um, you know a, a physical undiscovered primate species or something, and then we've got the uh, the the, the Puckwudgie and the uh, Rougarou that uh, you're sort of tentatively um, willing to say are are likely just stories. Now, Champ, like where where did you come down on? On Champ, because that that seems like one that that could potentially be uh, an undiscovered species. Hundred percent, something there. Okay. Um, I grew up with Champ stories, um, researching Champ. Uh, Monster Quest really kind of, I kind of think that's kind of when I first learned about it. So then to go there and then interview Christine Hebert, who was on the Monster Quest episode about Champ, was very full circle. Um, yeah, I would just stepping foot on the shores of Lake Champlain for the first time, it was just like. I'm here. I've read about this place. I've researched this so so many years. I'm here, and I think that that to me was kind of like like the ultimate kind of bucket list uh, case. Um, but yeah, it, it was. I kind of had like my my own kind of uh, kind of conclusion on Champ before we even got there, and it really solidified while we were there, because once you see the lake and see how big it is. And you get on the lake and realize how deep it is, and then you speak with people from completely different corners of the uh, of the lake that are all reporting similar things that don't know each other. Um, it kind of it, it just it it just adds to the mystery that is Lake Champlain, and that is Champ is probably I would love to do Mogollon again just because it's just such a big area that mm-hmm. you know you would need like a month there to really like get anything done. Um, Champ, I would love to go back and do a, like a follow-up um, just because there's just so much, you know, ground water to cover. And, you know, we, our uh, initial investigation plans kind of fell apart last minute. And then we ended up having to do the kayaks, which was just completely sketchy and probably the, one of the most terrifying things I've ever done doing this show. <laughs> um, so we really didn't get to like investigate as, as thoroughly as we wanted to. So that's kind of, you know, um, one of the reasons why I would love to go back and actually, uh, get a motorized boat to, you know, get into some of these areas where there are tons of sightings. And, mm-hmm. um, the one lady that we talked to, Melissa, who had a sighting like a, a few days before we got there, it was in the area where the Sandra Mancy photo was taken. Right. And there was other uh, other reports that were taken in that same area like a month before we got there. Um, so we kind of focused our investigation on that area. Um, unfortunately, didn't have anything. 
happen. But, you know, it was, I don't know, I'm kind of, I'm on that, uh, that large turtle uh, theory. I feel like that's kind of what it could potentially be, just given what some of the people have talked about. Sure. I, well, you know, I, I'm open to anything yeah. uh, at, at this point. Now, that uh, that witness, Melissa, that you mentioned, she had a, a video, didn't she, of, yep. of something that she had shot in that area? So, you know, I, I guess just because when you went out there, and I, I'll never forget the you guys going out there on kayaks, too, because that was, again, like, you can't make this stuff up. Like, mm-hmm. it was... Yeah, it was it was clearly uh, uh, you know cryptid adventure television at at its best. Um, like, even though you know you you didn't encounter this monster out out on the the lake, I mean, you still turned up things of, of value, you know. And, and I think that's worth mentioning. You know, being able to speak with people like Melissa and uh, and and have that video and. Everybody listening again, you got to go check out Chasing Legends uh, so you can see uh, everything that that we're talking about. Um, it's still it's it's still valuable, frankly, you know. Um, and really, there's a lot of good stuff about Champ out there, you know. Obviously, Chasing Legends, um, you know, on the on the on trail, trail of Champ yeah. was great. Uh, Carrick St. Laurent uh, mm-hmm. uh, released the uh, Bodetta film. film. Yeah, like that was that was great. So. I encourage everybody to check all of that stuff out personally, but uh, absolutely check out Chasing Legends, which uh, I believe is uh, free to view on on YouTube, right? That's right. Yeah, I mean, you can't get any better than that, honestly. Um, Now, because I always do all of the talking, I like to get towards the end of every episode. I like to ask Emily if she has any final questions. Sure. Um, I guess, like, obviously these first four episodes were clearly a success and i'm sure you're obviously working on future seasons um do you have any like anything that you can share that isn't like secret or that you are working on in the future with this yeah so um we're in the process of some things um some potentially big things um for us uh the first season really kind of uh, brought um some some po- very positive attention to to the project. Good. Um, so I'm. There is something. There's something in the works. Um, I can't definitively say yet what it's what it is. Um, sure. <laughs> so we'll just call it season two. <laughs> sure. All right. Well, um, we, we're looking forward to that. Whatever um, it is. Yeah. So um, yeah. I mean, I I have um, things that I would like to look into for the show. Um, it's an ever growing list. <laughs> uh, so um, a lot of it's international. That's kind of been always my thing. Is like I want to take this around the world mm-hmm. and really kind of explore the some of the global uh, cryptids because they those ones the the folklore and the physical stuff really clash because of you know once you kind of get into some of these cultural areas where you know that's kind of you know with, especially like with the yeti and stuff like that where it's it's to them it is folklore. But then you have all this physical stuff happening, and um, I shouldn't say for them it's folklore. For them, it's more of like religion, mm-hmm. and it's their heritage. And and you get into some of these other, you know, these tribes in Africa that are having, you know, these things. And that for me, that's just one. It's 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 getting into some of these areas and exploring some of these things that don't get talked about. Um, that's always been my thing. Is I want to. I don't want to focus on the ones that everyone talks about i want to look into these ones 
I mean, there were so many people that when we did Mogi on Monster were like, oh, I'd never heard of that. And I've been researching this for, you know, however many years. I'm like, yeah, I, I've known about it for quite a while. I'm, mm-hmm. I stumbled, I think I stumbled across it by accident. And um, it, it just sat on my list forever. And then, um, so, I mean, that's, that to me, that's, that's, that's me doing kind of adding some positivity to the field and I'm assisting others that, you know, if, you know, people are going to learn about these things and like, you know, I had, I had, I've had a guy message me on Facebook, like, Oh, I learned about the buggy on monster from your episode. I'm planning a trip down there, you know, coming up soon to go look, do my own research. Like, awesome. Like, that's what that's I want to see. Like yeah. oh, totally. the more people we can get out there looking for this stuff, the more likely we're going to find something. And that's always been my though, you know, that's always been my goal. And my thing is, you know, I want to, to raise awareness to some of these other ones. And that to me is why I want to get, go globally and uh kind of look for some of these other kind of odd um you know road not traveled ones and plus it's just gonna make good television because it's gonna throw my team and i into some more crazy situations where (laughs) yeah we're gonna get stuck in the mud and not have a backup plan and then we're gonna have to hike three miles to you know definitely well i am uh, i'm looking forward to it i can't wait to see whatever you guys come up with next now if people are interested in uh, in following your work, where where can they find you? So um, our Instagram and Facebook page is at Chasing Legends TV, all one word. Um, I am at Nash Hoover on Instagram at one word, um, all one word, not half one word. www.chasinglegendscrew.com um, is our website, and that's kind of like the one stop shop. Um, we've got photos of the whole crew. Um, we have some uh, BTS photos from season one and then all of our episodes that we shot um, all the way back to the beginning. Um, all of our episodes are on there. So the four and then the three, all seven of our episodes are on there that we've shot from um, beginning of the show to now. And um, we have a message board uh, thing on there. So if you want to reach out, um, send us a message. I love talking with people. Um, have any questions something that you would like to suggest that we look into i love it um so yeah that's kind of there um so pretty much the website is you go there and that's going to take you everywhere else so it's got the youtube links and um everything so yeah um, great perfect well, yeah one one stop cryptid shopping at uh chasinglegendscrew.com sounds awesome i will make sure to check it out and bookmark it so and I'll put that down hand. in the show notes for anybody who's listening so you can find it really easily. Perfect. Well, yeah. Wow. Thank you, Nash, so much. I mean, this has been a hell of a conversation. A lot of fun. Yeah, absolutely. Thank you for coming yeah, thanks, on. Thanks, guys. And to the rest of you guys, stay weird. That's right. Keep it weird, everybody. We would like to give a special thanks to Andrew Frisk and Dylan Burnett for their help in producing these episodes. And to our friends of the radio audience, we've been a pleasant. Good night.